Before we begin, a reminder that nothing on this podcast is intended as a statement of faith, doctrine, or fellowship, and this podcast is not affiliated with any church, school, or calling body. What's up, gents? My name is Charlie Ungemach, and you are listening to an episode of the Gird Up Broadcast. Now, the dudes are going to join me in just a minute, and we got a lot of great content coming your way. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you to all those who help support the Gird Up Project here. All of our content at Gird Up is available free to anyone anywhere in the world who might benefit from our message, and we want to keep it that way. But we also have to rely then upon the contributions of our listeners to do so. You'll never see any paywalls or exclusive content here at Gird Up. That being said, it does cost us money to put a show like this together. So if you find what we're doing here valuable and you enjoy the broadcast and you're willing and able to do so, please go to www.girdupministries.com, click on the menu, and select Buy Us a Cup of Coffee. That $5 donation goes a long way towards keeping this podcast going and helps us reach and minister to many more men just like you. Hope you enjoy the broadcast today. Let's get to it. What are you smoking? (laughs) Probably what you sound like, too, after smoking enough of them. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, we're on the Gird Up podcast today. First one of the season, and now broadcasting from the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. How exciting is that? Finally. Finally is right. (laughs) Finally is right. And actually, Connor and I were joking about this earlier. Like as much as my, as much as I love my little house in New Ulm, our our digs have improved greatly yeah. <laughs> just by moving into the dorms. So nice. really, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, it was uh, it was a, uh, it was nice because it wasn't the dorms, but that was kind of the only reason why it was nice. So yeah, much, yeah. yeah. So this is actually way more comfortable and better lit, and there's less critters and no holes in the walls. No holes in the walls yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give us time. Yeah. So yeah, no, this is awesome. Yeah. So, broadcasting from the Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Obviously, Connor and I, and you guys have met Bryce Bryce Guzzi before. Yep. Uh, We're all now juniors at the seminary, as soon as we're first years. And that brings us to our guest tonight. Go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. Yeah, my name is Jacob Klug. I'm a senior at the seminary. And uh, I'm loving being in the dorms, too, because it's cold. (laughs) In Myrtle Beach, it was very hot. That's where I was vickering. And so it's, it's great to be back. Great to be in these digs, as it were. Yeah, and as a senior, you're coming back from your vicar year. Like, kind of explain a little bit, like how the system here works as far as schooling, as far as the the different grades goes. Yeah, so we've got a strange made up naming convention. So first you're a junior, then you're a middler, which is the the real made up one, and then a vicar, and then a senior. The rationale is that. When you're in grad school, you don't want to be an underclassman anymore. You don't right. deserve to be called a freshman or a sophomore. So, so the the two names they made up, Midler and Midler and Vicar, and then you come back and you're a senior and you switch gears. Do you know why? So Midler doesn't really make sense in a four year program, right? Do you know why they were Midlers to begin with? No. When, so when the <laughs> seminary up here first started, your Vicar year was your final year. And so a middler was truly a middler, and a senior, it was their last year on campus before they go out for their internship, or whatever you want to call it, right, vicar year. Mm -hmm. And so then later on, they switched it so that the vicar year 
was after your second year, and then you had your counseling and all that kind of stuff after you do your vicar year, right, as we do it now. But they never changed the names. So middler year, you're still, I mean, you're kind of in the middle, right? But originally it was the middle of three years, which is why they call it that. Well, you're the middle guy on campus. You're definitely the middle guy on campus, yeah. Cool. Awesome. So let's get into it, huh? Yeah, uh, We are, well, we'll start with uh, shout outs. So anybody want to kick us off here with shout outs or thank yous or anything you got going on? Uh, I, I guess I can start. So earlier this week on Monday, I shot out to um, my mom's house for dinner, and <laughs> she let me take half a half the pan of lasagna she made back here, and I thank her for that very much. It's going to come in handy on the weekends. <laughs> yes, it's going to yes, come in real will. handy on the weekends. Because I, I can't cook that well. <laughs> Well, you don't have to cook in the dorms, man. Man, they're going to fatten us up. No kidding. Oh, Jeannie God. is so good. This is so a problem. Good. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. This is, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Every meal, I think I'm just going to have like the meat and the vegetables. Yeah. And then I eat everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then go back for seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And then the dessert's always good. Yeah. Yeah, going from MLC where I had a complaint about almost every single meal that we ate to I haven't found one thing here that I've disliked that I've been fed. It's a fantastic, and I'm thankful to you for getting me up in the morning and walking so we can at least burn <laughs> off a couple calories before yeah, the day no, starts. We need to do more though because this is bad. Yeah, good bad. I either need to start eating less or start working out more. <laughs> well, well, it's like uh, Professor Christie said. Said when by the time you get out of the seminary, you'll probably put on about twenty, thirty pounds. But from the time you get here. So, I don't have that much room to spare. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't afford to buy new clothes, and we're <laughs> right? on track for that right now. So, when things yeah. got worse or better, because Jeannie used to work breakfast and lunch, and then this year or maybe last year she switched to to lunch and dinner, and so breakfast, you know, is the lighter meal. You didn't eat as much, right, but now right. she's making fantastic dinner, and so it's even better or yeah, worse yeah. i have a, i think i think genie secretly believes that you can't trust a skinny pastor and so she's just trying to make us all trustworthy you know just trying to fatten us so up so we're better pastors true. you know it's working that's what i think it is yeah so that doesn't count as a shout out but genie deserves to be shouted out yeah. yeah all right who's next uh for my shout out tonight i'm going to shout out in particular uh parker brown and jacob schwark both of whom were uh helping me as i pursue a job here uh while I'm going to the seminary. So those are both uh, very helpful gentlemen and looking for that, and I'm narrowing down my job search to one at this point. What are you going to do? I think I'm going to go with the quick trip job. It feels like a little bit safer, more consistent as far as pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parker Brown's suggestion was interesting. Uh, I just was a little uncomfortable with the idea of getting paid by commission, but if it's working for him, more power to him, and I'd encourage anybody else that wants to try you know, as they're coming up maybe next year or something like that to, to give that a shot as well. Yeah. Clicktrip's a great employer. For sure. Ever, yeah. I've never, I haven't, again, within my circles at least, I don't think I've ever met somebody that didn't like working for Clicktrip. Mm-hmm. Even if they didn't like enjoy their like fellow employees or whatever, Quicktrip was not the problem. They, they, I don't know. I've never met anybody that didn't love working for Quicktrip. I got so. one more little shout out. Um, there was an individual on Facebook who founded me, who found me, whose name is. Oh, I'm going to butcher this. It's uh, Maltuta, uh, Maltuta Derek, who is a vicar from Uganda, who ended up getting in contact with me over the summer. He's a fan of the podcast, so if you're listening right now, 
I'm sorry for butchering your name, <laughs> but Vicar Derek, I really appreciate you reaching out, and we always love to hear that kind of stuff from people that listen. Yeah, and he's reached out to me a couple times too. So Derek, sorry I don't get back to you very often, but uh, you know, life is life is busy. But we love the fact that you're listening. Um, congrats on uh, making it through at least most of the seminary over there. Uh, we've also got guys listening kind of all over Africa. We've even had some in Pakistan and Southeast Asia late, lately. Um, and so pretty much anywhere that English is being spoken, so yeah. which is super exciting. Very um, exciting. Also, like at the end of the school year last year, we are talking a little bit about what was going on in South Sudan. Mm. Um, we still have people listening in Sudan, which is kind of crazy and kind of yeah. cool. So um, prayers, obviously, to, to for the, going up for those guys mm-hmm. as well for safety and peace in that area too. What you got, Klug? Yeah, my shout-out is to my new brother-in-law. Connor Bowinski is his Ooh. name. Uh, I've never had a brother, and... You know, you want your little sister to meet a, a godly man, and he's very much that. And he's uh, doing the praise band and helping with the youth group at their new Wells mission they go to. And uh, awesome. still just thrilled, thrilled to have a brother-in-law. So shout out to, to Connor. <laughs> I'm going to throw you under the bus. Are you a single guy? I am. I am a single yeah. guy, yeah. All right. So if you like the way his voice sounds, you got to yeah. go. He's kind of cute. Yeah. About, he's got glasses. About 5'10", 160 pounds. Yeah. Soaking wet, but he's a good looking <laughs> dude. He's incredibly smart. He's a sweet guy, you know. Soaking wet doesn't make me 5'10". <laughs> <laughs> and he's funny, too. Look yeah. at that. So, ladies, if you're trying to marry a pastor, you just got to go look up Jacob Klub. Are you on Instagram, Facebook? I'm on... <laughs> Good gravy. I'm on I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Well, what's your what's your handle? We're gonna link it anyway, so for sure. I think my handle on Instagram is Klugaluga. <laughs> yes. It definitely it definitely is. It's Wonderful. either that or it's Klugi, and I don't even know. If it's not, you need to change it to Klugaluga. <laughs> yeah, that's glorious. That's an old uh cross country thing. Okay. When I would run, that's what they would call me. Klugaluga. Right. So, yeah. Is that because that's the sound you made while you were running or something? Or the, well, they would they would chant it. Klugaluga, klugaluga, While I would run, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all the JV guys would be cheering me on. It was it was funny. That's fantastic. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, Lakeside Lutheran. Hey, Lake there we go. At least you didn't go to prep. Wow. At least you didn't. Go okay. To prep. Okay. I, now <laughs> we love prep. I always like okay, to tell the prep guys Jesus. I drove past prep to get to Lakeside. At a boy. Because Juno is. 20 minutes closer to Watertown than it is Lake Mills. Yeah. But my parents went to Lakeside. My grandpa taught at Lakeside. A bunch of my aunts and uncles the same. So it was a natural fit for me. Plus the bus left from our church. So I had yeah, busing yeah. there and not, not to Luther Prep. So There you go. Uh, my shout-out goes to the Rooney family and the Rooney Ranch out in Nebraska. Uh, they live out in the Sand Hills. If, if you know Nate Rooney... Um, he's, he's a pretty quiet guy, uh, generally when he's around the MLC campus, he's studying to be a, a pastor. Um, he's in his second year. He's going to have a couple of, or no, he's in his third year now. He's got a couple more years at MLC to go. Then I'll come up here to the seminary. Um, but while he's at the seminary, he keeps his ranch going out in Nebraska and they've got uh, a fair amount of land. It's a small ranch, but a fair amount of land out there. And they invited me out to go. Um, spend a week or so with them. And so uh, it's been a while since I had lots of opportunity to drive tractors and stuff like that. Which I mean, So my grandpa's a John Deere dealer. So I grew up driving tractors and doing that kind of thing. But then, uh, yeah, I went out there and helped make hay. Um, so cutting hay, raking, and then the baler broke, so I didn't get to do any baling. But, um, yeah, so they, they get to do all that kind of stuff. And then um, I, ha- I don't have a lot of experience with horses, but I've always had dreams of being a cowboy, right? So I told them while I'm out there, i got to learn how to be a cowboy. And so 
Um, he spent so I'm throwing him under the bus a little bit here, but he spent all week telling me just how awesome his horse is. He's got this beautiful quarter horse named Peanut, right? So it's just beautiful horse and he keeps talking about how well trained his horse is oh she's broke to death she's such a great he goes she gets a little cowy sometimes you know when she's around cattle because she wants to you know but but she's a great horse whatever i get on the back of this horse and uh it's about five minutes just sitting on the back of the horse and uh he's driving alongside of us in a in a ranger um, and everything's going okay. The horse is like looking at me and looking at him though. Like he's, the horse is definitely nervous mm. and he's going, yeah, like, oh, it's fine. He's giving me directions and he's got, the, like, he's the only one that ever rides this horse. He told me like riding a horse is like a marriage, right? Um, you train it, you spend all your time together. Like, he never lends his horse out to anybody. Nobody ever, nobody else ever gets to ride his horse, all that, but it'll be fine. You can get on her. And the last thing he does before I get on the horse is look the horse in the eye and say, now, don't you buck today. And I thought he was just messing with me. I thought he was just messing with me, like trying to get a rise out of me or whatever. Uh, apparently, this horse does have a history of bucking off anybody and everybody that isn't Nate. So um, I'm on the back of the horse, and the horse all of a sudden just takes off. Just takes off running. And didn't really buck much, but you know, definitely tried me a little bit. And it starts spinning around in a circle and eventually just laid down with me on her back. And so I didn't get hurt or anything, but it, I mean, that shakes you up a little bit. I got back on the horse, first of all, uh, and then he was apologizing all the whole rest of the time I was there. So um, I, it was awesome. It turned out to be a great story. Um, I guess I guess I still like Peanut. Someday I'm going to go back and I'm going to ride Peanut. So that's my goal. Someday I'm going to get good enough to go back and ride Peanut, and then I'll be a real cowboy. So shout out to the Roonies. It was awesome to be around, though. Uh, they got a bunch of beautiful little girls, um, too, that are like younger um, so it was fun to just hang out with the kids and they taught me all kinds of stuff. There's the, the other one. We came back from on Sunday, we like hung out at their parents' house a little bit, Nate's parents. So shout out to all the Roonies cause y'all were awesome. Went over there and ate ice cream and popcorn. They put popcorn in their ice cream and I thought it was weird, but it's delicious. I don't know if it's just a sand Hills thing or what, but they put ice cream in their or popcorn in their ice cream and it was amazing. But it, when we came back, we're, we're walking back to the house, to the other house. And, uh, one of there's a seven year old girl who has driven off in the Ranger, which is kind of like a gender gator. If you're not familiar with it, it's a Polaris Ranger. She's dr- driven off on it and mom's all upset and worried about her. Right? Like, where is it? Where is she? All that. And she comes driving back over the hill and she's like, like I said, seven years old, driving this thing back from over the hill. And it's when she gets close enough for somebody to yell, like, what are you doing? Her response is, there's a cow out. <laughs> <laughs> and so she went up. She just took it on herself to drive up there and chase the cow back into the gate. So then she couldn't get the gate open. That's the only reason she came back is she couldn't get the gate open by herself. <laughs> Otherwise, she was just going to take care of it. Uh, so she's they're raising some strong-willed, strong-minded little girls up there, and it's awesome. So, yeah, it was awesome to spend some time with them up there. Quite the um, blessings on the yeah, <laughs> Blessings on the beginning of the school year. Um, yeah. I know I talk forever, but no, that's you're right. fine. It's your podcast. <laughs> your story reminds me of my grandfather who said to the president of the seminary that his backup plan would be to be a cowboy. And so then they assigned him to South Dakota. And it was awesome. <laughs> but my grandma was like, Did you have to say that? <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't so excited about it. But they that. loved it when they were out there. All right. That's awesome. Very cool. All right. Um, 
If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can make a cup of coffee donation on the website. We call it a cup of coffee donation because for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help support the ministry we're doing with young men. If you'd like to support or help fund the work we do here at Gird Up, go to www.girdup.com, select buy us a cup of coffee in the main menu, and make your donation there. A special shout out today to Caleb Chimmy. Chimaluski. Chimaluski, thank you. Shout out to Chimmy. Chimmy made a bunch of contributions over the summer. We very much appreciate it. And just so you know, Chimmy, your money's going to good use because we bought a couple of new mic stands that are not here yet today. Um, but we, by the time we, we record the next one, um, we'll be using those new mic stands. So thank you, Chimmy. It helped cover some of the expenses for that. Um, we appreciate that. Um, like I said, if you'd like to help support what we're doing here, you know where to do that. Uh, all those links will be in the podcast notes below our manly quote of the week this week is a nelson mandela quote all right nelson mandela said i learned that courage was not the absence of fear but the triumph over it the brave man is not the one who does not feel afraid but he who conquers that fear i'll read it again i learned that courage is not the absence of fear but the triumph over it the brave man is not the one who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. What do you think? You think it's true, Bryce? When I read this, I instantly thought of... I, I'm talking about Professor Christie a lot here, but when he said in our homiletics class, if you're going up to preach and you don't feel nervous, then your pride is getting the best of you. Or to that point, like you're not in the right mindset. You should be nervous. This is You're dealing with something great. And it's sort of the same thing. Like if you're doing something that is outside of your bounds or you're taking a risk or you're doing something that you're not comfortable doing, you're supposed to feel that fear, anxiety, and triumphing over that is courage. Like it takes courage to do everything involved with that. So I think that's true. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying there. I I guess I would put the little caveat on the end of that, that like the true man that overcomes his fear realizes that he's overcoming it, overcoming it with the help of the Lord. And so like that goes right off of what you were just saying there. Like, yes, we're, we're doing something incredible where we get the unique opportunity to handle the word of God. And then when in handling that, we get to express it to our hopeful future congregations. And you just have to realize like, this is not something you're overcoming with yourself. It's the Lord that's giving you the strength to do that. Yeah. Yeah, to act in spite of like bleak or scary circumstances could be called courage or it could be called faith and, and they're probably the same thing uh, often enough because you know if you're taking courage that things are going to work out okay or in, in the case of someone who is a believer, yeah. you know that the Lord's got you and that you're part of his elect and so everything you do is either good for you or good for your neighbor in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in degrees too, right? Like every situation is going to be unique. Um, and so your courage is going to look different from one, um, from one person to the next. So like the image I had in my head is like a, a bull rider or like a race car driver or something like that. Um, doing what he does for a living, you know, like jumping on the back of a bull or driving 200 miles an hour, whatever it might be. Um, from the outside, that looks courageous because it's something I probably wouldn't have the courage to do. Right. <laughs> Although I do know that my, I do know that my Malibu hatchback will go 100 miles an hour, which is kind of awesome. Um, anyway, the uh, 
Like, that's so, that seems courageous to us, and it, I'm not saying it isn't courageous, um, but it is something that they do every day, right? They're, they habitually drive that fast. They habitually climb on the back of a bull, whatever it might be, right? And so while it is courageous, there very well might be less courage involved for that man to jump for a bull rider to jump on the back of a bull than for example an anxious man to just step out the back door and go right. face the world right mm-hmm. and so i think a lot of times we imagine these big like mountain like climbing the face of a, of a cliff without a harness right or you know asking out a celebrity or like we get we get these like big mega situations that take all kinds of grit and whatever and we imagine that is the pinnacle of bravery mm-hmm. um but i think it actually takes greater bravery to do something I mean, often i think it takes a greater amount of courage um to do something that genuinely does terrify you right. and just find a way to do it right yeah and it doesn't have to be these big great heroic efforts yeah and i think off of that too like it's easy like if you still get nervous like as like if you're a public speaker like something that we're looking at doing if it's something that you're already comfortable doing, but you still get those kind of nerves that you were talking about, Bryce, like that is that is still courage to stand up there and do it. But I have a lot of respect for the men, especially here or already out in the field, that are terrified of things like public speaking or interpersonal communications. Like, for example, so many of our professors at MLC were introverts. And like having the courage to do something that genuinely terrifies us, like you were talking about, Charlie, like that is courage on another level because then you're leaning into the thing that scares you the most. And if you get good at that thing that scares you the most, that makes you even more courageous in my eyes. I think as you're leaning into the thing that scares you most or leaning into God, then there's probably less of you that shows up, right? There's less of your pride. And especially in preaching, like if you're, if your mind's in, you know, Lord, I need you to help me through this, then the parts of you that, don't need to come out in front of the congregation aren't there right. which is good yeah what do you think is the most courageous thing you've ever done me yeah that's hard um maybe it was um preaching or not preaching uh playing in a marching band in front of 700,000 people live um the calgary stampede in in Canada, it's like the Macy's Day Parade for Canada. Yeah, I was up there this year. Yeah, okay. Um, Not for the parades though; I missed it. Oh, the, the, the I know Lakeside awesome. was up there again this yeah, year too. Yeah, so they they do this every four or five years, and so you know you've done parades in front of you know small town Wisconsin or Midwest towns all all the time. So we line up, and we know this is big; it's nationally televised, and so we're already pretty nervous. There's it's an international competition, mm-hmm. and then I felt okay until you you turn the corner. In the downtown, and in Canada, they take parades like the South takes football. Oh. There's just bleachers. Imagine bleachers on the side of downtown Milwaukee or, or Detroit or whatever. Sure. And then it's two miles <laughs> of oh. of high school football stadium sized bleachers, and it's packed. And people have cowbells and all kinds of devices, and they're just screaming and they're they're ready for entertainment Entertainment, and i am 16 or 15 i think at the time 15 and so that was that was probably courageous that's awesome it reminds me of uh the biggest parade i ever did was the circus parade in milwaukee 
um, when they every, it's about every twenty five years or so, I guess they break out all the all the old circus wagons from the Circus World Museum in Baraboo, yeah, and they have a big parade in Milwaukee, and it was the same thing. Probably not on the same scale, but I remember, I don't remember what street it was, but there was a street corner where it's just like a normal parade up to that point, and you turn the corner, and all of a sudden, the way I imagine my brain is like the scene from The Lord of the Rings where they're marching on a black gate, and they like... All these people, like all the orcs, just start coming up. Yeah. It was like that, except people, this mass of people, and you just start marching into them, and you're just being enveloped. And uh, like there's people standing on the street around you. There's people up in the stage, just like all the, and it's terrifying. It's nerve wracking. There was one point in the parade where I got a glance up, and there was a big parking garage. I think it was seven or eight stories. And so there's people on the ground, and then there's eight stories of people above that or whatever you know lined with three rows of people there and they're they're all screaming and it is everywhere it's yeah it's wild so when you were in high school and you guys would always take that trip up to appleton for the uh parade and everything you know yeah you ever do you remember like a that vanguard had this like tall burly director who was like super intense, would yell at the kids all the time, all that kind of stuff. Do you remember any of that? I don't. No? Okay, good. Because then it, that was it wasn't that. Yeah, it was me. Yeah, no, I've had Lakeside <laughs> people be like, yeah, I didn't want to be a part of Vanguard because they just were like scary. It's like, oh, okay, that's probably my fault. But not the kids, the directors. It was like, yeah, I don't want yeah. So Yeah, no, I don't remember anything like well, that. Well, good. I'm yeah. very happy about that. Anyway, yeah, cool. Karana, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? For me, definitely the most courageous thing I have done is returning to MLC at an advanced age, and uh, like <laughs> advanced age, twenty five. <laughs> yeah, I make it sound worse than it actually is, but you know, I, I've said it a couple times on the podcast before. My first time at MLC back in twenty thirteen, I didn't do so hot academically, and the president then asked me to take a year off, and my pride said, "Let's try six years." And so I came back after that and uh, going from just doing manual labor jobs where I could shut my mind off all day and not really have to engage to a full-blown academic again, a little bit older, a little bit wiser, but still very much not the academic. Like I've I've never been an academic. I I love people and I love Jesus. And so I've got two out of the three requirements I think is essential in being a pastor and uh, to try to capitalize on, on my strengths and then work on my weaknesses. I don't like to pat myself on the back, but I graduated. <laughs> and I, I actually did it. Thank you. Yeah. What took you so long coming back? Literally my pride. Literally the fact that like all through high school, I was like, yep, I'm going to be a pastor. I just had a natural gift for talking in front of people, got along with people fine. I figured, ah, the academics aren't that big of a deal and it was a real shot to the pride to have uh the president of the of the college say we need you to take some time to really think about what you're doing here and yeah i think i think that was the main reason that i didn't come back and you know i was good we didn't we skipped thank yous earlier we went from shout out straight to uh charlie's little shtick about hold on there are no uh, thank yous on it says thank yous and shout outs you're supposed to do one thing the idea was so we that always do two though yeah okay well we changed i it's been changed now so yeah. the idea is you can spend more time on one uh, thing uh, and we uh, can uh, all like have a little conversation about it and then move on i must there. have missed that memo sorry yeah no you but uh, that's my fault not but if, if i were to say a thank you it's actually jacob kluke here because he he was uh, already a fifth-year senior at the time when I returned, and I was this kind of awkward 
not really fitting in with the younger kids in my class and that kind of stuff. And Klug was the first person to really come up to him and be like, you look like a senior citizen. Would you like to go and talk sometime? <laughs> that was my opening line. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he introduced me to my first group of friends who I'm still friends with who all graduated you know, my freshman year. But just having that door opened by somebody that was already in the culture of MLC was fantastic. And so I appreciate it. Four years in the making, but thank you. It's good to have you here, and Connor, I know you and many of the guys here would have done the exact same thing. I was just put in the right place. I appreciate it. I'd like to think I'd do the same thing, but that takes courage too. Like, and that's not always something I, it's not something I like readily do all the time. So, I respect that. Well, it was a cool way to see God's hand at work. I had switched tracks and saw I was behind because I was staff ministry first. So I had this extra semester to do at MLC, and I kind of didn't want to do it i just wanted to finish and you know it was like well what what is god going to use me for this <laughs> this year i just wanted to be done you know and well it, one thing at least was to to be a support i suppose for you or at least to welcome you in and get you yeah. started and yeah. that was a definitely helped cool opportunity yeah. i feel yeah. like we're monopolizing here mm-hmm. bryce what's the most courageous thing you've ever done well i would say something common like skydiving or something like that but i i was actually excited and ready to do that but and i would argue that like skydiving and roller coasters and stuff they don't really like the the rate of survival (laughs) (laughs) if you will (laughs) but like the rate of accidents and stuff it's like it's you're safer doing those things because of all the protocols and all that than you are driving a car and so I've never been skydiving. If I had a reason to skydive, like if I was like in the military or something, it's fun. Like I, I would do it. I don't feel any need to do it just like for the adventure, right? Because I, I, I don't like the. It's the sense. It's not fear of dying or whatever. It's the sensation. It's like I love roller coasters, but I hate the giant drop. Like is that sensation that I don't like? And I could get over it if I had a good reason to, right? But I don't have a good reason to at the moment. So, oh, but yeah, I, I. I personally don't think it's all that courageous to, unless I guess you're terrified of doing the things, but that's fair. It's all good. But I'll go with uh, something that at least I still struggle with, and it, and at least in my mind, it takes courage to do. It's to tell people the truth. Like in, like it could be in any situation, but in like more specific situations where it's hard to tell the truth and it's hard to say this, whether to a friend, to someone you just met but just to lay it out there and say this is either this is wrong what you're doing or how what I'm feeling about something and just being open and honest cuz I st- I struggle with that often but when I do have the courage to actually tell the truth w- with the help of God it it feels a lot better than not telling the truth yeah and that leads right into mine I think the most courageous thing I've ever done is sit here behind a microphone and tell hundreds of thousands of people like literally everything so the fact that i've struggled quite a bit with pornography um like obviously we don't get into too many specifics but like a lot of things i've struggled with like in my dating life and things like that like i literally what it feels like is i was telling my mom this earlier in the summer is like it's really easy to get insecure because what it feels like sometimes is like you're literally just standing naked in front of the world, right? Just like here it is, yeah. And it's a wonderful thing, and it's a blessing, um, and is a freedom in that because like when you don't have anything to hide, like the what I used to tell fifth graders is like, hey, if you don't lie, then you don't have to try and remember what you lied about, right? And there's there's a <laughs> sure. lot of pressure in that, right? Of like if you're kind of living a lie, um, even if it's just like 
being a poser, you still have to remember who you th- pretending to be, and that's that's a hard thing to do, right? It's absolutely exhausting, and so that's a it's a the the backside of that has been wonderful to just have that out there and like genuinely, I don't have anything to hide, and that's a wonderful thing. I mean, everybody's got you know some. I mean, the things I have to hi- quote unquote to hide now are like something that happened. <laughs> Don't give me that look. This is not confession time. Uh, but you know, it's it's like the, the it's the little things though. It's not the big things. You know what I mean? You don't do that. That came laundry. out. That came out wrong. I'm not trying to hide anything. That's not what I'm trying to say. But like the like everybody's still doing. I'm still doing things I'm ashamed of from time to time. But there isn't this giant cloud of like this is my identity. And if anybody ever saw it, then I would never. Because what one of the things that I struggle with a lot is this idea that if anybody really knew me, like. If anybody really knew Charlie, like they wouldn't stick around, right? Like my mess is just too messy for anybody. <laughs> and so then when you lay out your mess for the world and the entire world doesn't just disappear and abandon you, that's a that's a wonderful thing too. But it took a ton of courage to do. Like I remember the first time I talked about pornography, like if you listen back to the earlier episodes of the podcast, like I'd, I really danced around it. And then eventually I started talking about it as like a, as an observer of like, Men who struggle with pornography right. look like yeah. this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they eventually became like, look, from the time I was 12 years old, off and on until I was 25, this was just a problem. Yeah. You know? And it has profoundly shaped my experience um, all the way along. And there was never a point where I, like, lost my faith or, like, fell away. And, like, there, there I would go for stretches of, like, six or eight months. Like, it wasn't like a, it wasn't something that was, you know, quote unquote destroying my life and so I didn't think it was a big deal until I stopped and uh, and there's plenty of there's plenty of podcasts where we've talked about all the resources and things that we've utilized to do that so that's a conversation for a different time but once it was over then I look back like whoo like this is this is a lot better to not be caught in this anymore right Mm -hmm. and what a beautiful feeling now but like I said huge huge amount of courage to to do that I would say that's probably the most most courageous well, thing. Ever let's done. be honest here, Charlie. Your biggest secret is the fact that you still use head and shoulders. Hey, <laughs> flakes are flakes. Nobody wants flakes. Hey, now. Oh, you're you're making fun of me for being bald. That's exactly what I'm making fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you got it a little. It took me a little while there. to get to catch that in. Hey, yeah, like just because what? I <laughs> let me. This is this surprised me. Is just because you're bald doesn't mean you don't have dandruff. Apparently, you can still have dandruff when you're bald, and I would not have guessed that, but I'm just, I do. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying you wouldn't use carpet cleaner on a on a cue ball. Like that's all I'm saying. Hey, well, it was working for me. Hey, I, you know, also pro tip: if you run out of face wash, you can use it on your face because there's a ton of zinc in it, so it's good for your face. Yeah, but they make wash. moisturizer for skin. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what it's. Four. I don't know if I use head and shoulders. I don't have any flakes. Plus, it's good for your beard, like once a week, to just clean it out like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't use it every day. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't use it every day. I use it probably three times a week, and I just make sure I don't have any. Would you rather have me walking around all flaky? No, I prefer you the way you are. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Goodness gracious, <laughs> you're bringing it. All right. Uh, we've begun reading a book called Good News for Anxious Christians. Good News for Anxious Christians. 
Um, but it's a book by Philip Carey, uh, and chapter one is you don't have to hear God's voice in your heart. So essentially what the book does is it walks through ten different lies that we hear in the um, I would say the modern church because they kind of span, if you look at the, the different chapters, they kind of span all of Christianity. Um, it's particularly written for American Christians, I think, in the American church, but the American church covers a lot of ground too. Um, so it's it's a it's a phenomenal book. It's not the first time I've read it, but even just rereading it this week to, in order to prep for this, um, definitely, definitely one that uh, I think more people should read, and I probably... This is definitely not the last time I'm going to read it either. So, first of all, before we get into the conversation, any first impressions on the book that anybody wants to share? I know I didn't prep you for that, but I what do you think of Philip Carey? Well, I just I just wanted to say an opening comment was how personal the book felt, because I know certain things he said in the book and certain situations, ideas, are all pretty much things that I've thought at one point or another. So it felt like it was personal to me and how these things have affected my life in some way. And it was nice to sort of see his responses and his ideas and what it actually is rather than what I'm thinking in my head. Yeah, absolutely. He felt like a very biblical author. And here's what I mean, not just that the concepts were drawn from Scripture, but that his writing or his conclusions or his description of human experience were close to the texts, meaning like it wasn't like he, he latched onto something and then talked abstractly about something that is generally true from philosophy or psychology or from theology, but he, he spoke more in terms of like what you might read from the epistles or the Old Testament narratives themselves, and that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. I just love that it's really readable. A lot of times a theology text like this, because that's what it is, is a theology text, is downright unreadable, right? And we're doing a lot of that at the moment as juniors at seminary, <laughs> is reading downright unreadable text, right? Um, but this is incredibly readable, and he's really repetitive too, which tells you exactly what the important thing is. Um, and sometimes that can be annoying, but in this particular book, it hasn't personally hasn't annoyed me at all the fact that it is really repetitive because he's hammering it home over and over and over again yeah so the first the first chapter that we read for this week is called you don't have to hear god's voice in your heart and it kind of comes from the idea that god exists inside of me and so that's where i'm going to find him um so in a sense of course it's true that the holy spirit does dwell in my heart uh, he makes his home in my heart, but God does not exist inside of me. There's a difference between God making his dwelling in my heart and existing inside of me. Um, obviously, he's much bigger than that. Uh, he's a person. He exists outside of time, space, and matter, and so that's where I must seek him, is as a person who is exists outside of me. You guys have any openers here you want to throw out there and discuss? Uh, yeah, the first thing I have down is that story or situation he talked about, a girl in a relationship and oh, laying yeah. in her bed at night just thinking, and then it sort of goes down the hill, and she's like, oh, maybe he's not right for me. And Well, she starts out, she's all excited about it, right? Like, yeah, what yeah. a wonderful date, he's so awesome, you know, this is the guy I'm going to marry, all that, and she's kind of trying to convince herself that it's a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then slowly but surely, the more she talks to herself, the more she's realizing, like, oh, like, he's really clingy, this isn't, this isn't feel right, there's something uh, off about this, right? And it, it was the whole point at the end of that where Philip Carey said, 
She was trying to justify her own thoughts by placing God in her heart, or like saying it was God speaking to her in her heart. And that's not how God works. We don't just think ourselves into a loophole and then God just gives you the answer in your heart after you've been thinking about it for a while. And I, th- I thought that was really eye-opening too because how often do we find ourselves in these circles of just thinking and thinking, oh, is this a sign mm-hmm. or is this something showing me to do something or do this or do that? And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I thought about that too. I thought that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought that like when he made a point that like you you are an adult who can make those decisions for yourself and it seems like it's very easy to abdicate responsibility for your choices by justifying it through the lens of of your faith and saying oh well god wants me to break up with this guy because it's just not the right fit and i'm i'm listening to god telling me like and and that's the that's the excuse and not one that I've actually personally heard from experience, but I have I have had friends who have told me that they've gotten broken up over similar circumstances where the girl's like, you know, God wants us not to be together anymore. God wants us to spend eternity together like that, you know, like a lifetime of marriage together. And that abdicates responsibility from yourself. Yeah, it's a complete lack of accountability. And you kind of touched on it, but it goes in both directions too, right? It's people that they decide what they want. This is going to put it really bluntly, right? So... If I ruffle some feathers, that's because I'm putting it bluntly to make a point. But, um, like, it goes in both directions. You figure out what you want. Like, I want this girl to go out with me, or I want to have this job, or I want to whatever it is, right? And I say, well, this is what I want. And it essentially becomes, God God wants wants me to do this. And that then frees me of responsibility for having to worry about the consequences of my actions. The consequences of my actions don't matter because I'm not the one that made the decision. God made that decision for me. So what it really is is running away from the consequences and making God the scapegoat, which, one, that's not how God works. (laughs) And, two, that's a very, very small God, one that you can manipulate that way. Um, And that's... I mean, that's also just, like you said, it's just not how it works, right? Yeah. Like, God isn't inside of me helping me make decisions. Um, that's It's not what sanctification is. Yeah, like, if you let the part of you die that thinks it needs to know how to make big decisions. So instead of making an excuse or a framework for yourself where you turn it into, this is what God thinks, mm-hmm. if you just admit that you're a liar, the heart is deceitful above all else, that somewhere in Jeremiah then the pressure's off. Like You can just face reality for, for what it is instead of having to live in some kind of um, puffed-up idea of your own decision-making ability. And it's a self-fulfilling cycle, too, because once you've eliminated your own ability to make big decisions, now, the next time you need to make a big decision, you've undercut yourself, you've lost the confidence that it took to make a big decision, and you've now convinced yourself that you don't have that ability to make a big decision and you can't like you can't talk yourself out of that mess and it allows you to forget or not acknowledge that the thing that you thought was bad that happened as a result wasn't actually for your good when it was yeah yeah, yeah. it makes me think about uh paul when he's talking about um, bringing lawsuits outside of mm-hmm. outside of the church and this isn't a direct correlation but he says don't you know how the states will judge the earth yeah. right and and that's kind of the angle this is actually the angle that he comes at uh, comes at that with is you don't trust yourself to make these decisions you can't right. figure this out like 
you're going to stand by the throne of God and help judge the earth, and you can't you can't settle a dispute in your own congregation, and you can you could probably apply that here also, right? Like you can't decide whether or not this is somebody you want to date. Like, just decide. Yeah. Like, do you do you want to spend more time with this person or not? Actually, this is something we've had conversations on a podcast about before too. Is this idea that you don't have to have? <laughs> this is something I'm passionate about. You don't have to have like a moral reason, especially as like a high school kid or a college kid. You don't have to have a moral reason to break off a relationship, right? You can just say, "I'm not. I, I don't want to be like. I don't want to spend more time with you." Like, right, yeah. there could, the 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 simple answer could be. I'm just not that into you, right? Or I'm, I, well, I, I wouldn't suggest saying that to a girl. <laughs> right, I would let her down yeah. easier than that, right? Truth hurts. But that can be, that could, well, honestly, she might get over it fast. Like, it might in the long, it would hurt more in the moment. It might act, being that blunt, might actually help her move on faster too after it. You know, I don't know. It's going to be, depend on the situation. But I think, especially in Christian circles, we get in these weird situations sometimes. We're like, we're like trying to come up with a good reason not to like. I think the same thing goes for like switching majors, especially at Christian colleges, things like that. But I think most of the time it's Christian dating. It's like I am just not into this relationship anymore. We're just not a good fit. We haven't made any sort of commitment to each other. There's no ring on our finger, whatever it might be. But I'm just not into this anymore. But I can't get out of it because she's not sinning bad enough for me. To, like, right, that's yeah. not the way this is supposed to work. Right. right. It's okay to make a decision and stick to your guns on it. Now, make sure that it glorifies God and makes you happy. Right. But if it doesn't glorify God, that's that's a whole different conversation. Right. And I think. A lot of times we get caught in that circle too, where we don't trust ourselves to make decisions on the opposite. It's not about getting into something; it's about getting out of something. Where we're like, ah, she's yeah. There's essentially what you're saying is she's not sinful enough for me to have an excuse to break up with her. Just be honest with yourself. Be honest with her. I don't want to spend my life with you, and that's a good reason for us to break up. And I think that it really diminishes what. God genuinely wants for you, which is for you to know him, to to love him, to live your life in servitude to him. And when you try to, as you were kind of saying, Charlie, uh, put God in this box that the only thing he's concerned about is that you're going to find a wife someday or that you're going to have that job someday. Like those may be things that God wants for you and God, you know, like, but that's not all he wants well, for you. But he's you. given me free will. Right, absolutely. He didn't give me free will and then make a dwelling in my heart and say, actually, never mind, I'm going to tell you what to do anyway. Right. That's not how it works. He gives me free will and he gives me the law as a mirror curve and guide as we teach as good Lutherans, right? But he gives us he gives us rules to abide by, not so that we can, you know, earn salvation or do the right thing all the time or whatever. He gives us rules and, and laws to abide by in order to protect our faith so we might spend eternity with him. That's the goal of the rules, right? That's the goal of the moral law. That's the goal of the Ten Commandments, so on and so forth, right? And he mm-hmm. makes them really simple. Love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, okay? Do those things and lean on me, like abandon everything except for me, 
and let's go. That's all he's asking of you. He's not asking you to try and figure out in every single situation, like when you're standing in line at the grocery store, figure out what God wants you to eat. These are not the things. Right. This is not scriptural. This isn't accurate. So the question then is, if this isn't, if God isn't in my, I don't have to. If I don't have to hear God in my heart, how then do I have a conversation with God, right? And he does harp pretty hard. Carrie harps pretty hard on this idea of a, a relational relationship with God, right? This whole you know find God then fi- first then find me kind of thing going on, right? Um, that's not that also is not scriptural. So where do we find God? And and he fi- he lays it out basically as what as 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 this. Um, uh, well, actually, I kind of tied it in with Hebrews. Uh, chapter one, two, but Jesus does not physically walk the earth um, the way he did during his earthly life, so we can't physically seek him out and go sit at his feet the way his disciples did. Although that would be awesome, right? Um, but that does not mean that I can't hear his voice. Um, if you think about the the men um, who do walk the earth these days, um, I do hear the voices of men that I don't know all the time, whether it's through books or media or. or um, you know, whatever it might be, right? I do have access to men that I don't personally know all the time. And the same thing also is true with Jesus. He's given us a book, right? He's given us his word. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer begins by saying, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And he continues to talk then about who Jesus is and finishes it off in, at the beginning of chapter 2 by saying, Therefore, we must pay m- much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And what we have heard is, <laughs> ready, a little bit of Greek here. This is literally the full extent of my Greek knowledge. It's an aorist participle. So it's not ongoing action. Like, these are things that we have heard. So Paul says we must pay, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We're, they're not developing the word of the Lord anymore. They're not hearing God speak in their hearts. We know what Jesus said. We have a bunch of guys that walked around with Jesus for three years and literally are writing down everything they can remember that he said. That turns into the Gospels eventually, right? And we have this recorded and we need to stay as close to that as we possibly can, right? And so that's where I meet Jesus um, in my daily life as a Christian, is I tie into his word. Thoughts? And I think, too, another thing to remember, I hear a lot of people, the answer to this question is, oh, God just doesn't use that anymore, or use, like, use direct revelation, prophets, whatever. And that's true to an extent, but I'm, I'm going to argue a little bit and say that for the average Israelite, average Jew, average early Christian, it's the same for them as it was for us. Because the average Israelite did not get direct revelation from God. They got their the word of God from someone who had direct revelation. And we are getting our word from someone who had divine inspiration. And so that is the same way we receive the word as the Israelites did back in their time. Yeah. It makes me think in two directions. One of them is that, so Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He's the Logos, right? And so all the words written in the Scriptures are Him, His message. And then that that thought pairs with another, whereas people will say like, hey, Vicar, or hey, Jacob, why, why, like, what does Chronicles have to do with my life? Or... (laughs) Even Proverbs or Jude. You've never read the stories of the manly men? (laughs) That's what it's got to do with your life, man. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, there's a woman asking, and she's like, well, come on, I'm not a warrior type. Anyways, Um, or what is Jude or 
you know, whatever, whatever obscure book of the Bible it is. And I think the, the answer to that is like, well, probably the problem with a book of the Bible seeing aloof or boring or not involved in our life is us and the amount of digging we're doing, not the holy inspired word of God. Right. And so there's probably answers there. That's what we talked about holding as close to the word of God as possible. Yeah. And I think it's also the, the, the part of the book where he was talking about how people claim to have this personal relationship with God is something that I've heard over and over again from people, from friends, from family members who said, well, I don't go to church. I just, I know God, I know who he is. And I used to try to encourage them to go to church by, by crassly saying that church is your opportunity to kind of have your spiritual battery filled up and to have that opportunity. And then I, when I read this book, it was the first time that it really struck me like, you know, a part of God when you're outside of the church, when you're not daily digging into the Holy Scriptures, you know what your natural knowledge of God tells you that like you are convicting yourself on a regular daily basis. And because you've heard a smattering about Jesus teachings, you're trying to float your boat on that alone. And you're not really digging in to the promises and to the absolute amazing gift that's been given to us by the blood of Christ. Yeah. Awesome. And then uh, Kerry kind of finished it off just by mentioning what, uh, um, like what the dangers are for churches, um, especially uh, with these two kind of issues in theology. The first is that humans are highly susceptible to peer pressure. And so when you got one person who's quote-unquote hearing God in their hearts, then it, it puts a whole lot of pressure on the next person to hear God in their hearts too. Um, and very quickly you actually end up in a really weird um, kind of postmodern place where there's no longer objective truth because what I heard in my heart is true for me. What you heard in your heart is true for you. And you can't tell me that I don't have truth and I can't tell you that you don't have truth because I don't know what's going on in your heart. And all of a sudden we don't have the gospel message anymore and there's no such thing as objective truth. Um, and that's a really quick spiral, right? Obviously we just went zero to a hundred on that, but that's what is eventually going to happen in, in that kind of a culture. The other one that I pointed out is that churches and pastors who depend on having butts and pews in order to make their living or in order to have influence or whatever it might be are going to do absolutely everything they can because they're sinful men whether they whether they recognize what they're doing or not sinful men are going to do everything that they can to have that influence and have that success and things like that especially if they're not rooted in appropriate true christian doctrine right um and so there's a lot of churches and a lot of pastors and ministers who are utilizing these kinds of tactics without necessarily realizing that they're doing so to a grave detrimental effect and so it's not necessarily um go to condemn your pastor for it uh, but what it is is something you need to be very careful about in your own heart and in your mind and when you're making decisions about where you go to church and who you choose to listen to um, and even like social media and things like that something to be very wary of cool all right, moving on to obscure Christian trivia. Now, Connor, oh, no. this is also yes. a change. This is also a change, so I'm going to explain it to you now before you... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so we were doing obscure Bible trivia, but there's two problems. One is that we all know the Bible pretty well at this point, and so trivia actually gets harder to find good trivia because we know too many of the answers. And then there comes a point where nobody's going to remember some of these facts unless right. they've been... right. And so in order to have trivia that we don't know, it has to be some weird, obscure, like really, really obscure thing. So uh, instead of doing that, we've now widened the widened the gate here to Christian trivia. And so 
could be anything from history. It could be fun facts. It could be anything from the Bible, church history, whatever it might be. So, um, with that scope widened, here's question number one. All right. Question number one. What Christian organization was formed by American traveling salesmen who wanted to have access to Bibles while traveling? What Christian organization was formed by American traveling salesmen who wanted everyone to have access to Bibles while traveling? Is that the thing about the Bibles in the hotels? Yeah, what are they called? The Gideons. Yeah, the Gideons it is. All right, we got one right. We're one for one. Awesome. So those are the guys responsible for all the Bibles and all the hotel rooms. Although I've heard, I don't really spend a lot of time in hotels, but I've heard that that's starting to actually go to the wayside a little yeah, bit. definitely. But that's sad. But maybe we can get a resurgence or something. The EHV in EHV. every hotel. There we go. There we go. A good Lutheran translation in every hotel room. All right. Question number two. Which Roman emperor... Which Roman emperor blamed the Christians after Rome caught fire in AD 64? We talked about oh, this in class. We did talk about this yeah, in class. we talked about this in class this week. Which Roman emperor blamed the Christians after Rome caught fire in AD 64? Bonus, bonus hint. Supposedly, he was playing his violin while Rome burned around him. My guess is Nero. Nero was correct. Oh, nice Nero job. was correct. Eighty sixty four would be the the key there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Bryce, we're awesome. killing it over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go team! All right. Question number three. Question number three. In AD two seventy, so in two hundred seventy years AD, which man gave away all his possessions and became the first notable Christian hermit, spearheading the ascetic and later monastic movements? Be eighty seven or two seventy, which man gave away all his possessions and became the first notable Christian hermit, spearheading the ascetic and later monastic movement? I should know this because you'll learn about it in church history. Yeah, I know, but I don't remember. I don't. It's not Martin Luther, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. All right, I'll give you. He's from Egypt. Can I get the first letter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. First letter, Antony of Egypt. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes, yes, that's yep. right. Yeah. So he, he, like, he literally just went out and started living in the caves and caverns and stuff. And it was the uh, the whole monastic. Uh, it was long before man. It was a couple hundred years before monasticism. But it was that whole monastic ascetic idea of if I leave the world behind, I will be less worldly and I'll be a better Christian. Um, which, like Luther, probably had the best quote I've ever heard on monasticism. Basically, the idea of. If your job as a Christian is to love your neighbor as yourself and you don't have any neighbors, then are you yep. are you a good Christian? That's a paraphrase, obviously, but <laughs> I mean he makes a good point. Right? Yeah, it's it's Platonic philosophy where the spirit is good and the flesh, the world is bad. Exactly. That's what it is. It's not yeah. Christian. But he was the first guy to be really notable to do it, and so people were going out into the desert to listen to him talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like this John the Baptist figure out there wearing camel's hair and preaching the gospel. And, and like, well, I want to be more like that guy. <laughs> and now we have monks. There we go. Awesome. We got two out of three. So I, I call that a win. I call that a win. Thank you, Jacob. All Klug. right. Awesome. Jacob Klug <laughs> carrying the team on that one. All right. Top three this week. Top three men you'd want to be your seminary pod mates. Anybody, dead or alive, 
You can't say Jesus. We should also put, okay. you can't put Martin Luther down either. I feel like that's too okay, much of a Okay, fair game. enough. Although I don't think I would want, see, at the point at which Martin Luther would have been one of my pod mates, like when he was, when he was, you know, going through seminary, I don't think he would have been that great of a pod mate. I mean, he was like, what do you call that? Fl- fl- when, like when you whip yourself. Flagellating. Like, yeah, he was fl- yeah. self-flagellating all the time. Um, yeah, but if you got him as like a second career guy and he started brewing <laughs> beer and all that stuff, like I feel like it'd be a much better fit. Like like right bet- between the time he wrote the 95 Theses, but before he married Katie, yeah, you know, yeah, like right yeah, in that yeah. time frame, he'd probably be a pretty great pod. I mean, you'd be you'd <laughs> 15, also be 20. under the threat of death all the time, but he would be a yeah. fun pod mate. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so taking Martin Luther and Jesus off the table, <laughs> who would your ultimate ideal pod mates be? How should we do this? Should we do... Each one of us just tells our three and go around. That might be the best way to yeah. do it. All right. Kluge, you can Ex- start us explain off. Explain to. Have we never call you Kluge? Like we Klugaluga. We'll stick with the we'll stick with the classics. There are Klugaluga, go ahead. Too many variants of, <laughs> of Klu- It's all good. Um, okay, so I was thinking G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton. Okay. I read a lot of him. Yeah, so you, you got you got him. And then um, Basil, like Saint Basil wrote the Nicene Creed. One of the three, oh, two okay. two very different folks, and then someone like John Eldridge or Billy Graham, some kind of American Christian guy, just a, a weird mix of theology. Yeah. Oh, so they just be, you can watch yeah. them watch them <laughs> deal with each other. Yeah. I bet Douglas Wilson was quite a guy in his seminary days. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd be perfect actually. Yeah, G.K. Chesterton and Douglas. Wilson as podmates. That would be intense. <laughs> yeah, Catholic and a Presbyterian. Just <laughs> just bashing heads. Oh, man. Do you know that G.K. Wait, who wrote? Yeah, G.K. Chesterton. Um, he once wrote a an essay on the contents of his... Or an, the es, an essay on the qualities of pocket lint. What? He wrote an entire book on the contents of his pockets. And he also... He didn't have any children of his own, so he really loved his nieces and nephews, and he started a society for the encouragement of rain with his niece. She wanted to have That's a club, amazing. and so, so they cool. lived in Great Britain, and they started a society for the encouragement of rain, which um, in the, yeah, it's basically like um, trying to start a society for uh, sunshine in L.A. or something like that. Like We've got plenty of it. It's silliness. So, yeah. This is an awesome, cool dude. He also used to have to send telegraphs home to his wife. So he'd be out about town in London. He would get lost, and he wasn't sure where he was or where he was supposed to be. So he would go to a telegraph office, telegraph his wife, be like, I'm at 46th Street. Where should I be? And she'd respond like, home. And so he'd get on a bus and go home. Which, yeah, just a just a brilliant man, but an odd odd character. Connor, three perfect podmates. My podmates a little bit different than Klug's here. <laughs> I have uh, number one, David Goggins. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh man, David Goggins would be a wild seminary. He would. He would. <laughs> but I I need that. That guy would translate every verb. Yeah. Like or not translate. He would classify every verb perfectly every yeah. time. I need I need okay. that guy that's just gonna like stand over my bed at five o'clock in the morning and be like, wake up. I would <laughs> love know? to see a standoff between Geiger and Goggins. Ooh. <laughs> <That> <laughs> and they're both wearing pleats and <laughs> fancy suits. Uh my second guy is Professor Nick Schmoller. Uh, I think that would have been a ball to have him as a pod mate back in the All day. Right. I think that would have been fun. All right. And uh my third is Steve Jobs. 
Steve Jobs. Yeah, because I think uh, <laughs> I appreciate two very much not Christian men. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but it's more like selfish because I need like Goggins to get me moving and like Jobs to get me working. So there you go. Yeah, those are the two guys. All right, and Schmoller to Schmoller <laughs> to level me out at the end of the day. <laughs> so does that put Nick Schmoller at the same level? As same caliber man as uh, David Goggins, and he's more like the anti Goggins, like the kind of guy that's gonna like tell you to chill out and have a good time instead of like <laughs> just go 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 a thousand percent. All of the right, time. I love even though it. I'm sure Professor Schmoller is an incredible has incredible work ethic and all that. Ba da da da. All right, Goose, what you got? Well, Connor, if you think you went a far, uh, far ways off from what <laughs> Jacob said, I think I'm in Canada right now. Uh, so my first one was Mr. Clean. <laughs> we said he never Eddie leaves hair in the sink either. Yeah, <laughs> never, never ever. Yeah, kind of looks but like you, use... but he doesn't have a beard. Yeah. <laughs> I heard he uses head and shoulders. Does he use head and shoulders? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my second was Optimus Prime. Um, Would he fit in a dorm room? We, we can make it work. Um, <laughs> but the reasoning behind it is. He can give me uplifting speeches when I feel down. He can he can protect me if we're in danger. Uh, he can drive me around and I won't have to use my gas money. I'm mm-hmm. just imagining uh, Optimus Prime going, It's a hippo perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think last and most important detail about him being my pod mate is it would be really cool to pick up a girl for a date in a flaming semi. <laughs> for sure. So you mostly just want to drive him around, yeah, and listen and to him give you speeches. Yeah, and he All protects right. me, and his oh, job, suppose, it's yeah. job security too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Who's your oh, third? Man. Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> Such a wild array. <laughs> explain Jack. I think I understand, but explain Jack Black. Comedy. Com- okay, yeah, perfect. For sure. Yeah, he's just like playing a plastic saxophone in his underwear when you get up in the morning. You know? Pretty much. Wake up just, call. Yep, there you go. I love it. I went more a little bit in the Jacob Klug direction here. <laughs> Thank I took a little more seriously. Right? So my three were King David. I think King David. So both because he but he also had a bunch of dope friends, and you know it, right? And he's got access to authority. Like he's buddies with the king and the king's son. And he already killed the giant. And I want to be a little bit more like David. And they say you're, more, you're most like the five people you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what guided my decision to, for these three guys. So King David would be an awesome pod mate, right? Uh, Theodore Roosevelt. The more the more time I've read the rise of Theodore Roosevelt probably six times. Every time I read it, I just go, man, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like, I, he's got no chill, so maybe not completely like that guy, but he'd be a great influence. He'd be a great influence on you, both as a student, because he was like a, a voracious writer and reader. He was a total ladies' man, um, and he was a sharp dresser. I want to be more like that, you know? I want to be more like that. <laughs> What's that? I said a voracious ladies' man. <laughs> well, maybe not that, but yeah. You picked two of those with King David. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, well, priorities. Uh, third, okay, not a ladies' man at all. Rudyard Kipling. I have no idea. He'd be idea a great. Is. Oh, he wrote like Ricky Tikki Tavi and ah. um, uh, the White Man's Burden and um, oh, what's the Die 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 Soldier? What's that one? A Soldier of the King. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember, but he also wrote the Jungle Book. 
like all those books. He's the poet laureate of the modern American man. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he was about, uh, he's kind of like your stature. So he was like five, six, five, seven. So a little shorter than you. Um, <laughs> sorry. And he, he had glasses and he tried to play rugby, but his eyesight was so bad that he had to wear his glasses and back in the, um, late 1800s, like you couldn't wear glasses to play rugby, you know. Um, and he was sickly all the time as a kid, and he grew up in England, but his parents and his whole family were from India. Um, so, like, w- white English people living in India, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he ends up going back to like India and Pakistan, and even though he's, like, the least manly specimen ever to exist, like, this weak little punk guy who's always sick all the time, he writes the most masculine, manly poetry like full-throated roar and it's absolutely awesome i think it'd be a great so great of those mate. of those works that you mentioned of his if you were to recommend one to read right off the bat if you'd never read them before what would you recommend if well if you're looking for a novel you got to read the jungle book and reading the jungle book is different than like watching the movies all that kind of stuff right mm-hmm. um but i personally love his poetry i've actually got an antique copy of his uh of his poetry collection um but the if poem you know the if poem right oh yeah Oh, yeah. um, that's a Rudyard Kipling. So yeah, you've you got can a keep poster your head, around that here. So. Yeah, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs, the blame it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men touch you, and it, it goes on. But the last line of it is, you'll be a man, my son, right? Mm. I love it. It's a little bit humanist, but I absolutely love it. Yeah, so it's one of the poems I've memorized, and I like when I'm stressing out or I need to calm down or whatever it is. If you ever see me reciting poetry, you know, I'm either having a time of my life or I'm stressed to the nines, one of the two of them, yeah. What do you recite when you're having the time of your life? Uh, that's that depends. Like, so I have the most fun when I'm working my butt off and just hanging on for dear life, right? So, like, if we're, um, I try to think of a good example. So, like, the if poem is a good one to recite if you're doing like if you're like walk hiking up the side of a mountain. And you can't see the top. And I don't. Have you ever done any that kind of stuff? Like when you can't see the peak anymore, all of a sudden it gets real hard to go up any further, right? And so that's a good one to like. You're just doing hard stuff to to, to so that hard stuff gets easier to do, right? Um, if it's more like homework kind of stuff, or like studying something, or just like hard labor or ministry stuff, I like to recite um, uh, "Be Strong" by B. Maltby Babcock. Be strong. Um, Oh boy, now I forgot it. <laughs> Be strong. Uh, oh gosh, I completely forgot it. Oh man. See now I'm gonna get I'm gonna get reamed for this. Um, I know the second verse. Oh my goodness. Be strong. I don't remember the first verse. Okay, well, anyway, we got to keep going, I guess. Yeah. I'll remember it eventually. Um, but yeah, Red Kipling's awesome. He would be a great podmate. Um, man, I can't believe I forgot the Be Strong poem. Yeah, Invictus is also a good, fun one to recite all the time. Also super humanist, but yeah, it's all right. All right, this week in church, uh, it's Pentecost 14, so we're looking at uh, the Old Testament reading for this week, Exodus 6, verses 2 through God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name by uh, but by my name the Lord I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land which they lived as so, sojourners. 
moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people. Of it. I've heard. I'm struggling. It's okay. I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians have told, hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord." I guess the the first thing I noticed with this, uh, starting in verse 6, is all the I will statements from God. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you. And yes, these are promises to the Israelites and to, the peop- to God's people, but you can also think of them as they are already written in history by the time God reveals this to them. It's when he says, I will redeem you, it's already done. I will it's a be prophetic your God. Perfect, it's already done. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. Sounds right. Sounds smart. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that that rings true in our lives too. And you mentioned earlier some people who say some of the Old Testament doesn't have any relevance. This is that relevance for us. All these promises to the Israelites and sayings, the I will statements, they ring true for us today. And I think that is very important to remember. You can see the providence of God through all this, right? Like, he not only, so like in, he brings up Abraham, it's, it's kind of odd in this moment where he's talking to Moses and trying, like, He's not even trying, because he knows Moses is going to go do what he needs to do, right? But he's talking Moses into it, basically. And he's already identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet he brings them up again. And in this context where he's saying, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. And he brings that back into the conversation. Um, I, I love the fact that he basically implies at this point, not only... Do I have the power to bring you out of Egypt? But you have been in my hands from the time you were sojourners in the land of Canaan. You have not been out of my sight or out of my mind while you've been slaves. This is still something over which I have authority. And now, by my authority, you are coming out of Egypt. Um, and that idea that the, this terrible experience of slavery... Right is also something that God is holding in His hands, mm-hmm. right? And as awful as the situation is, this is not something outside of God's control. He has not abandoned His people. He is only waiting to fulfill His promise and to do what He has promised to do, right? And to do it in His time. And it's I, I think it kind of makes us look wimpy, right? Where we are, we're like, God, what are you doing? When our shoes come untied at the wrong time, you know, like that's a little dramatic, but you know what I mean, like. I get it's kind of like the example of uh, like if I don't eat lunch at exactly twelve thirty, I am miserable. <laughs> but the body can survive for what like thirty days without food, <laughs> right? So like I'm not actually gonna die if I miss lunch today. Um, 
the, the, the same idea is going on here. Maybe it's not a perfect correlation. But the same idea is going on here. The Lord, it, it certainly feels like everything is crashing down around me and I'm going to die, right? Um, but the reality is I have, I, I'm, I'm going to continue being preserved whether I skip lunch today or not. And the same thing's happening with the Israelites here. They may be going through an awful situation, which is no good and no fun. It does not mean the Lord has abandoned them. It does not mean that this isn't part of his plan. And he makes that very clear to Moses along the way. Yeah, and I think to further your point, too, it makes me think of the confidence this must have given must have given them. I mean, you think of the prayer that God loves to hear is when we pray to him, Lord, you promised this to us. Now, do as you promise. And so I think the 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 fact that God knows that they're going to go through more hardships than they're already experiencing now, and the fact that they can look back at this promise that he's given them, that like, what I'm going to do for you may not be easy, but I'm still going to see you through it no matter what, that prayer still holds true for us today. The fact that despite the difficulties, the troubles that we're going through, whatever struggles they might be, we still have that prayer that we get to pray to God where he says, I promise to do what I promise to do for you. And we can hold on to that. Yeah, I think of that in like a societal term, right? A lot of people say like, oh, things look kind of scary right now in America or in the world. And this has been true for the last while or maybe since 9-11, if you're a little older. And uh, <laughs> hey, I, I re- 9-11 is like my first memory. Really? Yeah, that's... I, was I think I, grade. I went to preschool and had a corn dog for lunch, and we watched a lot of news that night. That's about all I remember. Mom and Dad were sad. It's confusing. Yeah. Anyways, um, and so we've got a few years, twenty years, or three, the last three or four years of looking, you know, things are looking a little less stable, or Christianity in America looks less stable than it did certainly when we grew up, or when our parents or grandparents grew up. So that's you know some amount of time, but the Israelites had four hundred and some years right of bondage and and terrible treatment yeah think about that that's that's longer than the time our nation has existed right right Oofta. that's like from the time the pilgrims landed at plymouth rock until now yeah yeah wow. yeah. yeah that's nuts that's a line there in slavery yeah 400 years is hard for i think an american memory to think about wow yeah like Luther's 500 years ago. That's a long time to be slaves. It is a long time. I have never thought about it from that perspective before. Yeah. Me neither. Till now. Huh. Sorry, what was your... The, the, the big point was just that our vision is not looking in the long term. We're looking at the last however many years you want to take it of um, things looking less stable. Yeah. They had 400 years of instability of crazy instability and and whatever i I don't we don't know exactly what it was like but my bet would be that it was worse for them than it is for us (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a safe one yeah yeah absolutely i love the last the last little phrase there he finishes the whole speech off with i'm the lord and it makes me think about i I was in a i was i was a, a witness to a meeting once um where the guy who runs the company Right, shows up to the meeting about 15 minutes after the meeting's supposed to start, and as he's walking in, um, the his I don't know, vice president, for lack of a better term, uh, it's a small company, but the the vice president looks at him and says, "You're late," and he looks back at him and says, "I'm not late. I own the company." 
And it was one of those like, don't don't you forget who I am moments, right? Like there there is no meeting if there's not for me. And that's exactly what the Lord is saying here. Like, don't you forget who I am, right? Um, you like you just gave me all these excuses for why you can't go and do this thing I've asked you to do. You give me all these excuses for why Israel can't leave Egypt. Don't you forget who I am? And then he proceeds to spend the next forty years telling him, well, even even longer. I mean, probably 70 years by the time all the battles and everything are over, showing them exactly who he is. Yeah. Yeah, the the implication behind that phrase, I am the Lord, it goes so deep, and it must have struck the ears of the Israelites pretty strongly, too. I mean, to hear that I am the Lord. I am the same Lord whose, whose wrath and anger was so great that I was willing to destroy my creation and save only a couple. But I'm also that same Lord that did preserve that family. I'm the same Lord that despite my creation rebelling against me was loving enough to still give them an out and to give them the hope in the future. It, it, it's, it, it must have struck their ears as both awe-inspiring in the power that's behind the one speaking and also comforting in the gentleness that is behind the one in the words speaking, the one that's speaking the words there. Well, you talk about I am the Lord striking their ears. Well, um, if you, you took some Hebrew, right? I am meaning to be, right? He's so God's saying, I am the Lord. I am being. I'm existence. Don't forget who I am. You know, like I'm everything. That's great. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. Well, that's all we got. So we're going to close it out here. We're at about 120, 120. We're at about an hour and 20 minutes. So we're going to, we're going to call her there. Um, thank you, Jacob, for coming on the show. Um, where can people, find, you already kind of told us already, but where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, um, Instagram, will link that, and then Facebook, Jacob Klug, it's K-L-U-G, it looks like Klug, um, but it's Klug, it's a good German last name. Pretty much those those places, if, if you really need to find me, um, those will work. And All right. So. Awesome, and it's Klugaluga on Instagram? Probably. All right, awesome. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll make sure it's linked down, in, down below. Connor? Uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. My full name is Connor Herder. Um, I think my Facebook is Connor G. Herder, so Ooh. you can find me on What's there. What's your middle name? Uh, my middle name is Grayson. Grayson. Yep, yep. Interesting. So that's, that's What's the name. story behind that? Just a cool name? or? Uh, well, I think my dad said it jokingly one time, but he told me that he got the name from a can of baked beans. <laughs> a company, a brand called Grayson Baked Beans. I really hope that's not the truth, and there's something deeper behind that. But it it would fit if it. If but it if, but if it isn't true, you'll if yeah, yeah okay. I'll, I'll awesome. own it. Awesome, love it, Bryce. Uh, I guess uh, Instagram would be a good one, and then I guess email me. You know. Well, what's your Instagram? Oh, I don't even know. I have to look at that. <laughs> what's your email? I I also don't know. I have to look at that. <laughs> We'll we'll have it we'll have it all. We'll link it both it. down in the podcast notes below. You can find me at girdup underscore b underscore a underscore man on Instagram, Charlie Ungamak on Facebook. I don't have Twitter or anything like that. So if you find a profile with my face on it, it's not me. Um, otherwise, all the uh, links for the podcast. Uh, website and the show and things are down in the podcast notes as well. And we'll make sure that we link a book or uh, we'll link a we'll put a link in for the book that we're doing right now. Good news for anxious Christians, so you can read along with us if you'd like to follow along. God bless you all, gentlemen. Go meet the men that God created you to be. We will see you next week. Perfect.
On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, editing, and distributing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you'd like to contact us with comments, questions, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at any of the links in the description below or on our website. Please consider supporting the work of Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping at our online store, or making a $5 cup of coffee donation at www.girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure you like, friend, follow, and subscribe to Gird Up and all of our guests on your social media platforms, and consider leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the Gird Up podcast so that others can find us and be blessed by our content too. As always, thanks for listening. Now go and be the man that God created you to be. We'll see you next time.